opening your eyes really wide. I'm trying because... to get as much light. <laughs> maybe if I get a whole I don't lot think that's of light, how it works. I don't think that's how reading I'll works. I'll be able to see We just would like to remind you that none of the things that we say should be taken as official recommendations. We try to know what we're talking about, but this podcast ultimately represents the opinions of a couple yahoos with master's degrees. It's (laughs) mainly for entertainment. Right. So if you feel that you need help with your own mental health, we encourage you, please talk to your very own doctor or your very own counselor. Get real help. And remember, this podcast is not safe for work, so listen with headphones. Hello. (laughs) Hello. And welcome to Freudian Sips. I'm Bonnie. And I'm Anna. See, that was pretty good. That was pretty good. Mom was dancing the whole time. That's why it sounded so good. I feel like any opening should have music and dancing. (laughs) She just had the music in her head and she was bouncing back and forth. I always have music in my head, baby, all the time. It's time for another episode and I am so excited. Are you? I kind of am, yeah. (laughs) We're talking about some fun stuff today. Yeah. Now you're dancing. I know. Because it's exciting stuff. I caught the bug. (laughs) Caught the jitterbug. (laughs) And now all of our listeners yeah. are doing it. If you're listening to this and you're shimmying your shoulders, that's you're what, doing what we're doing. Oh, <laughs> they caught it too. What are we talking about today, Anna? We are talking about a pair of questionably ethicked experiments. A way to put it. Well, there's a way to put it. <laughs> I mean, I, I would say unethical. Mine's pretty unethical, I think. <laughs> yeah. By today's standards, they would be called unethical. Well, that is true. Yeah. I mean, these were done before the development of most of those standards. But yeah, even kind of just by rational human, by human empathy, it's sort of like, I'm mm-hmm. sure we should be doing this to another living person. But mm-hmm. we talked about this a little bit when we talked about Pavlov and his experiments. On and we have great dogs. empathy for dogs. Yes. I mean, that's even almost it's heinous. Yeah. But as we did that episode, we talked about how, granted, we disagreed with just about everything he did. However, without it, we would be without that information. So there right. comes that strange moment of like, oh, but we really want that information. So. I guess. So the experiments that we're going to talk about today gave us some very interesting information going forward for the field of psychology and sociology. Mm -hmm. But there might have been better ways to get that information. I guess. It's hard. Like you said, it's a fine line of like what's worth it or not. But regardless of what's worth it, let's talk about what they did. Okay. Let's start with yours because it was uh, chronologically the first one. What are you Mm -hmm. talking about today? Mm Mm-hmm. I'm going to talk about Milgram's experiment. You may have heard or seen something about this as the shock experiment, the shocking experiment. (laughs) It was shocking. Because it was shocking in more ways than one. (laughs) And um, this experiment actually took place in 1961, very important year because it was the year I was born. The whole world was Another shocking experience. (laughs) The world was shocked in many ways in 1961. (laughs) This was actually in July of 1961 by a man named Stanley Milgram, who was an associate professor of psychology at Yale University. This particular man, Stanley Milgram, 
was actually of the Jewish faith, and he had a special interest in the Adolf Eichmann trials. He was, Adolf Eichmann was the German, how many times can I say that name? Was the German bureaucrat who was responsible for transporting the Jews to the extermination camps during the Holocaust. Yeah. And the, the trial was actually in Jerusalem. And obviously Milgram was here in the United States at Yale. But it brought to him this question of, was it true that a lot of those people just did what they did because somebody ordered them to do it? Right. And it, it was almost like they didn't have a choice because they were under orders. And he, you know, really kind of struggled with that whole idea. And Which he, was some of the defense that these people were using. Exactly. Is, no, they were just following orders. Right. And he was like, hmm, let's put that to the test. Right. Like, were they actually accomplices or were they kind of like victims? Yeah, basically. So part of his theory even included that perhaps the people in Germany under Adolf Hitler were more susceptible to this kind of thing than good old Americans because good old Americans, you know, we had that freedom concept and that everybody for himself kind of thing. And so that was actually part of what kind of went into all of his theory Mm -hmm. process. So, Which we are, as a country, more individualistic than other countries are. So... You would think so. Uh, maybe, but that's not what the experiment was. But that is not. <laughs> he was like, that's my, yeah. that's my theory. And then he's like, let's do yeah, another let's thing. Let's do something let's totally different. Let's do this other thing. Yeah. So let me tell you about how the experiment went on. Tell so, me a story, Mom. I'm telling you a Mom, story. tell me a story. Once upon a time <laughs> in 1961, <laughs> he actually, instead of, you know, a lot of times when they do research, professors will get some undergrads to do the research and stuff. That's not the way he chose to do it. Instead, he put an advertisement in the newspaper to get people to come and volunteer for this, which we'll kind of come back to later, that idea of where the people, where the participants came from. So he put a call out for men who were willing to participate in a study, men between 20 and 50 years old. Some of them were unskilled labor type people. Some of them were professionals. So trying to get a good mix. mix. Yeah, trying to get a cross sample. They were paid $4.50 for participating in the study. That was 1961. Mm -hmm. I bet that bought a lot back in 1961 um are you looking up i am trying to want me to keep going keep talking and i will look it up i will tell you when i look okay up. the experiments took place at the yale laboratory which is significant as we continue to talk about this and basically what happened was the people would come in and he told them that it was a study about learning a teacher kind of study and so they would call the participants teachers 450 in 1961 was 3820 in 2019. Wow, not bad for about an hour of yeah, work. Yeah. Yeah. He would bring in the participant and another person who was actually on his staff. His name was usually Mr. Wallace because it was one guy who usually did it. Here's a picture of him, Anna. Oh, okay. He's I a very will. mild-mannered. He looks very pleasant. Little Irish man. He looks so nice. <laughs> And he was usually the one who got shocked, okay, in most of the studies. The one who got shocked? They were shocking this nice little Irish gentleman. Oh, buddy. I know. Well, that kind of adds to the study. Like, would you want to shock yeah. that people? Like, are you really going to hurt I mean, this tiny Irishman? Like. Look, yeah. at, look at his face. Look <laughs> at his sweet Irish He's face. Are you going to shock hat. him? The participant would believe that Mr. Wallace was also a participant because they would then do kind of a drawing of straws kind of thing that was fixed. Because they always wanted the participant to be the teacher, the one who would be administering the shocks. Because Mr. Wallace knew his part well, what he had to do. And so they would bring them into the laboratory. They would all go into one room and Mr. Wallace 
or the person who was going to get shocked, would sit in a chair that kind of resembled an electric chair and would have like little electrodes attached to him so that the participant would see him all strapped up in there. And then they would leave the room, which... He's like, <laughs> and right, right, hello, <laughs> just going to sit here and be shocked. Faith and Bigora. Faith and Bigora, don't shock me. <laughs> oh, good, an opportunity for... Mother for Mary and Joseph, please don't shock me. <laughs> I'm going to need more wine. I lied about it. I knew you would. I knew you would fall susceptible. It's hard when you start because then I just have time to drink. <laughs> you want some of my very sweet wine? Sure. Here, have some of my very sweet You're very oh. sweet. You're very sweet. So you're you should, peach. You should like peachy it's sweet peach wine. Peach sweet wine. It's called sweet wine. You should have known what you're getting into. It's very sweet. It's so sweet. <laughs> it's, a, like, it's better than my like boot liquor wine. Well, see, you're kind of mixing a little bit of your really <laughs> stiff stuff in there. You got your peach wine in my Cabernet wine. <laughs> yes, yes, I did. You got your Cabernet I wine said right in my there. peach wine. That's how Reese's were made. <laughs> <laughs> No wine. Okay. Maybe a little wine. (laughs) All right. So they took, this might take a while. Back on task. I I know I've got a limit here. I'm trying to stay in my limit. Oh, I'm sorry. So they took the participant back in the other room and explained to them that what they were going to do was they were going to give Mr. Wallace words that he had to learn kind of an association. Like they would give a list of like, or a pair of words or four words. And they would then say, now which word goes with this word? Oh, yeah. And then they'd give him kind of multiple choice. And he had to pick like one, two, three, four, like push a little button. But we know now that Mr. Wallace was going to miss almost all of them. Right. Because he was playing a part. Poor Mr. Wallace. He <laughs> was playing a dumb dude who didn't know words good. Right. Exactly. <laughs> and the more anxious things got, the less he knew his words, apparently. <laughs> hey, do you want to, we'll pay you to sit in this chair in another room and get words wrong and scream into a microphone. <laughs> And so the participant was shown the board with the buttons that they had to push. And it started with 15 volts, which was like a very slight shock. And they actually, they did let the participant feel what a 15-volt shock felt like. Oh, interesting. Okay. To, to let them know it was a real shock. You sure. know, kind of like to set the stage. Right. Basically, what I'm saying here is the stage is deception. Sure. Which is what the unethical thing, because we'll get to that, that it's not like anybody really actually <laughs> got hurt. That's a hard line, because even when we do things i mean there's a control group and that usually involves like a placebo effect Mm -hmm. is that deception and that's the argument that milgram gave when people were saying this is unethical this is not right oh no (laughs) i made the same argument as milgram so somehow you (laughs) have no (laughs) me and stanley all right stanley so but they but they are doing all these things to make the participant truly believe they are shocking this person right exactly they're trying to set up the fact that it's really happening So the board went from 15 volts, slight shock, all the way to the mark on 375 was danger, severe shock, all the way up even past that to 450 volts was the highest okay and they had to they had to push the button to shock the person at another table adjacent to the teacher i'm going to call the participant the teacher from now on okay adjacent to the teacher was the person who we will call the experimenter who was dressed kind of like a doctor like in a gray lab coat kind of thing and he would sit at a table nearby like to encourage the teacher to do what he had to do. And we'll talk more about that too. I think it's interesting that they called them a teacher because that is also placing them in a position of power. 
Mm. That that's saying, okay, you are the teacher in this situation and you have the power over this person. Right. And they would even like say to them, teacher, you need to do this. They would use that word. So that's yes. a good that's a good observation. I and, I'm looking up electrical burns, which don't don't do that just generally. Ever. If you're listening to this, don't do that. But it's saying like anything from five hundred to a thousand volts can cause like internal burning and stuff. So 450 is no joke. Right. No, it would be very painful. And not only that, but it could cause like a heart attack or something yeah. like that. If you had a, uh, this poor little Irish gentleman yes. might have a heart problem. <laughs> he, has, teacher, he has a weak heart. Teacher, he, has a wee, <laughs> he has a wee little heart. <laughs> okay. As it progressed, he was missing words on purpose. So they had to shock and they would shock progressively each time they were supposed to shock. And if the teacher hesitated and said anything... The reports were that many of them did say things like, I don't want to go on, or I think we're hurting him, we need to stop. Right. And there are videos and recordings, audio recordings of some of these trials out there, and they're kind of creepy to listen to, because you can tell that the person actually believes that they're shocking this this Mr. Wallace. One thing I thought was interesting is they actually, he didn't just sit in the other room and like shout out. He actually had like a tape recording, and with every subject he used the same, that way Oh, it was to eliminate like right okay interesting that's yeah. it's actually a very that's good, good experiment procedure right. yeah right. because it, he didn't want to be more emphatic with one person than he was with right, another. right. so he would use the same voice that's good i mean they so they were clearly thinking of how to eliminate variables mm-hmm. and stuff mm-hmm. and so if the teacher would hesitate in any way the experimenter had four what they called prods and they would kind of like build on each other. The first prod was just, please continue. Mm. If that didn't work, they would say, the second one was, the experiment requires you to continue. The third one says, it is absolutely essential that you continue. And then the fourth one is, you have no other choice but to continue. That's a lot of prompts. Mm-hmm. Exactly. <laughs> that seems like too many prompts. And not only that, but as you read about it, it explained that Quite frankly, sometimes the experimenter would even go further than that. You know, would get even more intense okay, because it wasn't working. <laughs> if we're eliminating variables, that doesn't seem like a procedure. Right, right. And that's part of one of the, you know, because with many, many research experiments, they come up later with these questions of validity. And that was one of the issues was right. that the experimenter sometimes got off script a little bit. Yes. And so then it wouldn't be consistent with every participant. So, So this is the scary part of all this, though. Besides thinking that you're shocking another human being almost to death. Right. 65%, two-thirds, 65% of all the participants, the teachers, continued all the way to the highest level, to 450. Oh, my God. And all the participants in that first study, all of them continued all the way up to 300 volts. So at 300 volts, the man, Mr. Wallace, there was a point where it's he said, or it was either 300 or 325, where he said, I'm not going to do this anymore. And he was talking about his heart. He Very early on, he said, my heart, I, my heart feels funny. I think something is happening to my heart. Please stop. Let me out of here. It was scary. Oh He's like saying, let me out of here. Let me out of here. Then he falls silent. <gasps> so like for the last shock, there wasn't even any voice. He didn't respond to the oh question. My God. And the experimenter would say, you need to shock him because he's not responding. And one of the recordings I heard... Oh, he didn't respond to like the word question? He, I didn't respond. He didn't talk at all. Like he was unconscious. That's the feeling he got. My God. And the one person that I watched a little video clip about, the man said to the experimenter, he could be dead in there. 
And the experimenter says, we have to go all the way to the end or something like that. We have to finish the experiment. I I know in these situations, it's so hard to be like, well, I would have done this because you have no idea what you would have done. My inclination is to be like, I would have gotten out of the chair and gone into the... If they showed me where he was before they brought me into the room... It just steps away. Yeah, just go there. Mm -hmm. Just be like, no, I'm going to go help this dude. Right. But again, I can sit here and say that, but I have no idea what I would do in the situation. Exactly. So, you know, the one test, the one experiment, the first one with the 40 men who responded. (laughs) I'm trying to get my brain. Men who responded to basically newspaper advertisement. Those are the results of that particular test. It wasn't the only time that he did the test. Right. He actually did it. Well, remember how sometimes we have sources that say different things. One of my sources says 18 times. One of my sources says 19 times. So somewhere around 18-ish experiments. That's many. That's Mm -hmm. many. That is many. Which, I mean, quite frankly, in a good experiment, you probably will do it several times just Mm -hmm. because there's something called like retest reliability. So, I mean. So the retest reliability on this was good because almost every time it was right around 65%. That the so, people would go all the way. To, that is a mark to, in its favor to the validity and reliability right. on exactly. it. Exactly. Some of the variations, because, you know, then people bring up questions like, well, what if this or what if that? And so some of the variations that he used in his experiment, one of them is the idea of the location. Because they were at Yale. They were in this fancy schmancy laboratory. They did find when they did the experiment in a different place, kind of like a <laughs> a questionable a Burger place. King. <laughs> yeah. Like Burger King basement. <laughs> Come into my Would lab. Would you like fries with your shock? <laughs> The obedience level, and that's what we're calling the 65% was okay. obedience level. Sure. The obedience level dropped to 47%. So if when they were think in a, it was as a professional environment. Right, right. So it's like, well, we're in Yale. It must be okay to shock <laughs> We're in a Burger King. I'm not going to kill this man. <laughs> right. I want to If I'm going to kill this man, I want to be in the Yale psychology <laughs> department. The other one that was pretty significant was the idea of the person, the experimenter being a professional, like had a right. lab coat. The lab coat thing was a big deal because they they did variations where they had someone else, like the lab coat guy, like had to take a phone call or something. I don't know. <laughs> I'm going to take a smoke break uh, while gonna, you shock this guy. Oh, my burger's ready. <laughs> And a person came in with like just regular, like you or me, you know, and then they're like, okay, go ahead and shock him. <laughs> so this is my mother-in-law. She's going to fill it for me. <laughs> I have to take a call so my mother-in-law is going to tag in. Kevin with like curlers in your hair. <laughs> okay, Sunny, shock away. <laughs> Rubbing her eyes like she just woke up. Well, I don't think it was and that. And like, I don't think I'm going to shock him. Man. I don't think I don't you have think authority this is over a good me, idea. Lady. You okay. know, I don't trust her for some reason. Okay, we kind of exaggerated that. They were dressed in ordinary clothes, okay? <laughs> they had pants on, probably. They did have pants on. <laughs> Just no lab coat. But the obedience level, this is significant, dropped to 20%. Oh, dang, that's a high drop. Isn't that huge? Yeah. But I don't know about you, but whenever I see somebody with a lab coat, I'm like, oh, they have something going on that's really important. Like on the street? Do you see people well, on the street? No, like in a hospital and you see the people with lab coats, they're like, oh, they got important they know stuff to do. what they're doing. Well, I remember when Gabriel got his first lab coat as an RN. Oh, yeah. It was very and professional. And it was like... We're like, oh, he knows everything now. He knows everything now. (laughs) Okay, go, Gabe. Yeah, it's the illusion of, I mean, it's, 
I think there is significance in however we're dressed. How oh, yeah. like, if you're wearing, you know, a supervisor's helmet on a work site, then you know what you're doing. And if you're wearing a tie in a business place, you know what you're doing. Like I, I think the dress. I think yeah, and I think like today I just told you I was wearing like a really casual skirt and like a like literally like an exercise top. Mm-hmm. And because it's I mean Friday is pretty casual at my workplace, and I was wearing high heels with it just because I was like I just want to I want to wear high heels. But everyone was like, you look so nice today. And I'm like, I'm wearing an exercise top. What are you talking about? But it didn't look like an exercise top. Though. But it was a pretty casual outfit. Okay. But I but dressed it up yes. enough that I looked like I knew what I was doing, which is my key to success in life. <laughs> Here you go, Sipsters. Sipsters <laughs> <laughs> a key for you. To success in life. <laughs> Act like you know what you're doing. Act as if. Act as if. Okay, how about this one? This one's kind of scary. The rest has been scary. Uh, it is all scary. <laughs> When the participants could instruct an assistant, this is kind of weird, to press the switches. So in other words, like the the teacher teacher. had an assistant, but the assistant was a fraud. They were being paid, okay? But the participant would say to him, go ahead and shock them. Oh. It rose to 95%. Well, yeah, because you can pass the buck. Right. But holy crap, it was it was up to them to say, yeah, that's that's very scary. But I mean, I do think that is significant when he's looking at it in the frame of, I don't know, giving context to the Holocaust trials. Right. Because a lot of those people that were being tried were in positions of power where they were making other people do things. And I mean, the one you mentioned was like they were transporting. So they were taking orders from someone. But it's still not like they were doing the killing. But there were people. They who were did that very kind of stuff complicit too. in the deaths. Right. But for some reason, we have this block in our head. Like, well, I'm not actually doing it. Mm-hmm. Somebody else is responsible. Right. Which is another one of the things that they found in the study that if there was a point where the teacher was apprehensive and wouldn't go on, if the experimenter said. I hold all responsibility for what happens. Like if the teacher would say, what if they die? What if they have a heart attack? And the experimenter would say, you are not responsible. I am completely responsible. Then they would go right ahead. This is making me very sad because still wouldn't people be like, I don't care whose responsibility it is. I don't want this man to die. That's what we would hope, wouldn't we? So one one other thing is that if there were other participants who refused to obey it dropped all the way down to 10%. So in other words, if there were two people sitting there shocking oh. and your partner who was paid would say, I'm not going to do it, it dropped all the way down to 10%. Well, so that's if they uniformity. Had, mm-hmm. I mean, that's... that's Right, yeah. exactly. Well, so like... So it's like testing Like there's an interesting things. study that we're probably not going to talk... It's really short. Like we won't have a whole episode on it. But like they had like a whole group of people and they would answer like, oh, which of these lines is ash. this is different or something? Mm-hmm. Yeah, the ash, ash. conformity study. Mm-hmm. Is that the line one? Yes. Yeah. They were looking at a line. To yeah, see. they were looking at lines and then they would have like five people and the first four people would answer wrong. And uh-huh. so the fifth person very often would answer wrong just because like, well, they did. Even though they could clearly. I mean, yes. it was like an obvious difference. Right. Right. And actually, that conformity study played into this study. It's kind of like, you know, they all kind of hooked yes. together. Do you have some information on like some of the backlash? Like, did it get backlash Yes, from there was backlash. Because <laughs> they decided that it was unethical. And like we said at the beginning, this was really before like the ethical standards that we, yeah. we go by these days. That was like, what, 74-ish. It was right after mine. That they all of a sudden said, oops, maybe we better make some rules about this. <laughs> we should probably regulate this. <laughs> some people are doing some <laughs> hey, crazy these stuff. People are going to kill these poor people if we don't stop in. <laughs> these mad psychology professors are going to hurt someone. 
So the biggest issue that they brought up, though, was deception, which you and I have already just talked about, that really there's deception. Where's the line in right. deception? And that's what Milgram said, too, is that that was the point. You know, they couldn't right. know the truth or else they wouldn't be able to perform. Well, because that's what, I mean, that's what double blind is about. Right. Where a study, if a study is double blind, or blindness in a study context means that you don't know what you're receiving. Mm-hmm. So if you're receiving the placebo or the actual effect, then you are blind to what you, so that can't affect how you respond to the study, basically. Exactly. Double blind just means that the researchers also don't know which ones they, which one they get. But the, double blindness doesn't have anything in this Milgram study, but that is deception. I mean, that right. is, you right. are saying, hey, you're getting this thing and it's having this effect. Mm-hmm. But if it's not, then you know that the effects may be placebo. Exactly. The other thing was specifically the idea of protecting your participants from having ongoing anxiety or stress or discomfort or hurt. I killed a man. Right. Obviously, the guy who was getting shocked wasn't really getting shocked. Did he come in at the end like a punked episode like, hey, (laughs) hi, it's okay. (laughs) Not quite, but... I don't like. Yes, I don't <laughs> that's think exactly that what he little did. Mr. Wallace would do that. He'd, he'd be saying, "Oh, hello, <laughs> right, I'm fine." I can't think of any Everything's Irish sayings. Everything's all right. But, oh, let's go have a pint. Slitch it to you. Let's, let's have a pint. Yeah, no, that didn't. Um, I know you shocked me with three thirty volt, but I'm all right. I know you're very mean, fine. and you don't mind killing Irish people. You killed me, fake heart, but it's all right. I won't hold it against you. (laughs) The Irish are very forgiving. In his defense there, Milgram did debrief those people who took part, not immediately like the next minute, but within a couple of hours. But if you watch some of the videos of these people doing this, you can see the anxiety on these people. When you watch these videos of these men being very distraught, I mean, like, you know, sweating and, and, you know, pulling at their hair. Breaking their hands through their just gallons of hair that they have on their head. (laughs) They're crew cuts. (laughs) And then their long hair. Gigantic hair. But he did debrief them and he told them, you know, you didn't actually hurt anybody. And then in his defense as well, he kind of like did a after study a couple weeks later to kind of check on their psychological health. What he reported, whether it's true or not, was only less than 2% said it was a bad experience and I, I wish I wouldn't have done it or I I'd rather not have the done brief, it. Only 2%. When I thought that we were both going to be talking about this study, I did look into this a little bit and I saw that a lot of them actually not only responded that it hadn't affected them negatively, but they responded that it was a positive experience for them, mm-hmm. which is astounding to me. Right. But I mean, I guess it does, if our thing is self-awareness, then yeah, it kind of opens exactly. your eyes to what you're capable of and... You would think that hopefully what it would do is make you think, I I need to be braver and stand up against. Yeah, or you know, I need to be more aware of that I do have responsibility right. in this. I mean, it's kind of a taking ownership of your stuff thing. Exactly. Myself, when I was reading all of the information, I kind of kept coming back to there were 40 men. There weren't any women in the study. You said there was and one study. When I went back and I tried to find, there was one, I think it was Experiment 8, where they actually had women. But the weird thing was I could never find anywhere where it said, this is how the women fared. I like to think, because I'm a woman probably, (laughs) 
that women would be a little more empathetic and would be like, I'm not going to shock this guy to death. You would think if that were the case, they would have made a point of it. Yeah, unless that was... Unless they didn't want to. Exactly. If it was Maybe. against what they were trying to get... The other thing that has been questioned and makes a lot of sense to be questioned is, you know, would this be different in different cultures? Because it was American. Oh, yeah. They were all Americans. And yet one more thing is that all the people that were, at, at least in his early experiments, they were all volunteers. They came forward from a, an ad. So that's a certain personality. That <laughs> I would, want to shock a dude. Right, right. I want to yeah, shock yeah. a dude. I wonder what the ad, like, I wonder how much It didn't say anything about shocking a dude in there. Oh, okay. <laughs> hey, do you said, want to shock a dude? That's it, the headline. And then on the bottom it says, <laughs> and then on the bottom it says, call this number. <laughs> it's a bro. whole different category. <laughs> no, it was advertised as something about a learning experiment. Oh. So, or an educational learning kind Well, that's of. interesting then because I agree that as someone who enjoys educational things, I am also kind of an overachiever and a people pleaser. Like, mm-hmm. if I were to go into a learning experience knowing that there was someone above me, even though they were calling me teacher, knowing I was a participant in a study. Mm-hmm. Well, and that's the whole thing that I will talk about more with mine. Something called demand characteristics, mm-hmm. where people will do things because they think the researcher wants them to do it. Which, mm-hmm. in this study, the researcher right. was saying, you must continue. And the word that Milgram came up with, like the theory word or whatever, was agentic state. I had to ask Google how to pronounce that. <laughs> Because it, it's like agent. Oh, agency. Agent, yeah. agent, IC. Agentic state. Oh, yeah. Which is that people allow others to direct their actions and then pass off the responsibility for the consequences to the person who gave them the orders. Because they don't have agency in the situation. Right. It's- right. Who holds the agency? Right. Exactly. Weird. So that was kind of one of the main things that came out of his study. But the last note that I would say about my study, and then we'll look at your cool experiment that you're talking about, is that, you know, the idea that, okay, well, they did 19, 18, 19 studies, but that was way back in the 60s. So then you have this thought, well, if we did this now, it would be very different because people have evolved and blah, blah, blah. But there have been, they can't do the same exact experiment because of those laws that we talked about. Well, and also because this is a kind of famous famous experiment. Right, right. However, in the 2000s, there have been a couple of there was uh, one researcher named Berger who did some work and he didn't do exactly the same thing but he did some work based on it and he basically said nothing's changed it's still like around 65 percent and even maybe higher sometimes and then this was the last thing that in France they actually did like a game show that was based on the same (laughs) it's fine if it's a game show and in a game show, it was like 85%. Well, yeah, because then you have... You're going to get money. You want the audience gonna, taking you on, too. Yeah. And you have bigger So you got a lot going on. Yeah, there's a lot more factors. Yeah. That's The bottom line, unfortunately, is no, we have not evolved in a more positive way as a society, at least according to some of these researchers we've actually gone darker where we're more likely because Bummer. the one thing they found specifically was remember that part about if there was somebody there telling them I'm not going to do it that piece has kind of been removed in the latest studies oh like, like they don't they do won't that? do it if somebody beside them says I'm not going to do it they'll say well I'll do it anyway <laughs> so that say like pansy and like do it right, anyway. exactly like awful so that's something awful. that has cool. evolved yeah great I yeah it's great perfect <sighs> So the cool. Milgram experiment. Drink your wine. <laughs> What's yours? Now it's time for me to drink and drink you to talk. Drink your wine. I am talking about the Stanford Prison Experiment. 
This is one that was actually highly influenced by the Milgram experiment. Um, it had to do with conformity and stuff. It's called a social psychology experiment. It was conducted in 1971 in August. It was conducted by Philip Zimbardo. He was a psychology professor at Stanford. Again, with a psychology mm-hmm. professors. <laughs> He wanted to study things like disorientation, uh, depersonalization, de-individuation, which are very big words. I will explain some more of them later. But (laughs) you've actually talked about individuation in another episode. So basically, the volunteers were found through a newspaper ad. Again, I guess newspaper ads is just how people find things for (laughs) studies. Over 70 people responded. I found one source that said 75, but... That's over 70. That's over 70. It's fine. And they were given psychological testing before the experiment even began. The ones who were deemed psychologically stable were the ones who were picked. So this excluded people with criminal backgrounds, medical problems, significant psychological impairments. So they tried to keep it the most mild-mannered people they could find, basically. Eventually, they landed on 24 people who agreed to a two-week study for $15 a day. And I did the pre-work on that one. That's $94 in 2018. That's so not much for a day's work. No, these were students who responded. Oh, well, then it's a lot. So, yeah, yeah. yeah. And they were on summer break, I believe. Yeah, it was August. Oh, so they were on summer break. Yeah, do? it was like, yeah, let's yeah. do some yeah, summer, get some summer money. So, um, do we get to Shaka Dude? <laughs> hey, this thing says Shaka Dude. Is this where I come? And they're like, no, that's Yale. We have a different thing. Okay. Ours is gotta, completely different. You got to know, you're going to be in prison in this one. Are you sure? Woo-hoo, Are you sure okay. you want to be here? <laughs> So they landed on 24 people. The 24 people would be split into guards and prisoners. And with each of these groups, they would have nine people and then three alternates just in case there were some dropouts. So there were nine guards and nine prisoners. And it was by random selection, which is a coin flip. Which is very scientific from the get-go. <laughs> we're just going to flip a coin. Great. And these are all men. These are all men. Okay. The prisoners were actually arrested in their homes, outside of their houses. They were arrested, quote-unquote, blindfolded, and brought to the prison, which was the bottom of the psychology building at Stanford that had been basically converted into a prison. They blocked off a hallway with plywood, and they put, like, a camera in it so they could record the hallway. And then they put cell doors on the classroom. So there were three cells, and they could each hold three people. But they put bars on the doors, like a prison. Mm -hmm. They converted a closet, like a supply closet, into the hole that was, like, solitary Mm -hmm. confinement. Mm -hmm. So they made a little prison. But just the being blind folded and taken somewhere is yeah that's not procedure it's <laughs> not and do procedure. they do that to real i don't criminal. think you did think they do that when they actually arrest somebody i don't know so i'm gonna talk just a little bit about the things that they did to de-individuate these people mom after you pour your wine yes. would you remind us what individuation is uh. do you remember <laughs> that we each make our own we are in control of our own destiny yeah. we are an individual yeah we we find our own personal individual we, selves we basically stress that all the time and yeah that's something yeah. that yeah that's something that we talk about a lot and so they worked very hard to take that sense of individuality away from these people. So the guards dressed in uniforms. They wore sunglasses so people, the, the mm. prisoners couldn't see their reactions. They had batons that they had, they had gotten from police stations. The prisoners were given big smocks with numbers on them. And the smocks represented, they called them dresses. They called them dresses. And that represented emasculation, which I'm not going to talk too much about because I, uh, I'll talk too much. Right I'll now. talk too much. 
So they wanted to emasculate them. They were given stocking caps that were made out of like nylon stockings to symbolize or represent or emulate whatever you want to call it, shaving of head. So like, not a lot of this is like actual. No, prison. no, 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 no. And <laughs> it's super not. This they is put hell they put prison. A, they put a chain around one of their ankles, which Ooh. was meant to express the oppressiveness of the environment. And and what I read about this was it was made to quickly simulate the minimizing of their identity that happens kind of more gradually in prison. Right, right. So, like, these things aren't as extreme as in prison, but they did it to quickly immerse them in the, like, de-individuation process of prison, basically. I think it was for kicks and giggles. (laughs) (laughs) I have strong feelings about some of these things that are happening. Mm. So, like I said, the smocks had numbers sewn on them. Guards only called the prisoners by their numbers and frequently made the prisoners do roll calls with their numbers to enforce that these were their names. Mm-hmm. So when they got there, they were stripped. They were deloused to kind of, again, just throw them into this in the deep end and strip them away of their individuality, basically. There were no clocks in the whole place. Mm. And there was, I mean, they were in a basement, so there was no, no sunlight. Light. They had a real sense of time disorientation. So they're just totally taking them out of like a, a natural environment. They're taking away their individuality. It's it's a bad situation. Yeah. Yeah, and then things got worse, which is something I found myself writing more and more in my notes. <laughs> and it's then a little, it got worse. It's a little disconcerting. So pretty much from the get-go, several of the guards got into their roles a lot. They were basically told they could do anything except physically harm the prisoners, but basically anything else that they needed to keep law and order. So basically to keep the prisoners doing what they needed to do. And they quickly resorted to punishing prisoners with push-ups, using degrading language, all of this stuff. And on the first day, there was sort of a power struggle. A lot of the prisoners kind of were giggling about it. Like, oh, this is a weird thing. Like, they're making us do roll call. Like, that's, you know, kind of wacky. There was kind of this power struggle between the prisoners who weren't taking it super seriously and the guards who were taking it a little too seriously. So there was a power struggle going on on the first day. But otherwise, it kind of went okay. Nothing too big happened on the first day. It wasn't that bad. And the second day happened. Oh, no. And rebellion. (laughs) <laughs> Viva la resistance! <laughs> on, on the, the second, second day, day, the morning oh of the second God. day, prisoners barricaded themselves into cells. They put their bunks, like their little cots, like against what, the what cells. What were they rebelling against? I don't get it. Being oppressed by the guards. They, I mean, the people they, who they knew were their equals yes. were treating them. Okay. Yeah, they're like, you don't have any right to tell me what mm. to do. And they were thrown into this environment where they were stripped of their individuality and they were rebelling against it. Okay. So they barricaded themselves in the cells, but eventually the guards got in. When they did, they stripped the prisoners of their clothes. They took their beds away as punishment. They were very upset. The guards also set up a privilege cell for the prisoners who did not participate in the rebellion. They were like, oh, well, these people were working with us, so they get better meal and they get nicer beds. Those people are going to get beat up. Basically. I mean, like, (laughs) nothing quite so extreme happened, but it did so mistrust among the prisoners. I mean, this kind of sense of camaraderie that the prisoners had was broken. Mm -hmm. The guards were basically saying, like, let's do some psychological manipulation here. Right. And after only 38 hours, one of the prisoners went a little, quote-unquote, crazy, as Zimbardo described. Philip Zimbardo, <laughs> I have some feelings about this man. <laughs> but uh, this, this prisoner was screaming, cursing. He was saying he needed to see a doctor. He was threatening to see a lawyer. I mean, like, he was getting very extreme. So they eventually released him. 
that was kind of the big thing that happened. And then I think a total of three prisoners ultimately were released from the study. So they put people in when one went out because they Um, had the alternatives? They did. They only put in one alternative toward the end of it. But over the next several days, guards continued their harassment of the prisoners and sanitary conditions eventually worsened. So as it was the way the prison, quote unquote, was set up, they had to take the prisoners down a hallway to go to the bathroom because there wasn't a bathroom in the prison part of it, like the mm-hmm. way, the thing they converted to the prison. But to do that, they put bags over their heads so they wouldn't be able to see the way out. Yeah, that doesn't happen in real prisons, I think. <laughs> So they're doing that, but eventually the guards said, let's give them a bucket instead. Let's have them go to the bathroom in this bucket, and let's just leave the bucket in the cell. Yeah, great. So that's happening over the next few days. And it just kind of got worse and worse. I mean, like, tensions raised. People were being put into this solitary confinement, like, for very small infractions. This is just like a supply closet with no windows and anything. It's just, they're being kept in there. And the prisoners really began to internalize things they began to kind of refer to themselves like by their numbers instead of their names. At one point, they did this kind of parole board exercise and a prisoner was asked if he would give up his payment for quote-unquote parole and he said yes. Wow. So basically what that means is at any point he could have quit the study, which would have had the exact same effect as this parole. He wouldn't have gotten paid if he quit the study. But he wasn't just going to quit the study. He had to wait for parole. Mm-hmm. So he was going to forfeit his payment, but it would take a few days to get the parole board to accept his parole request. Mm-hmm. So it's like these people had totally forgotten they were in an experiment. That, when I was talking and you were saying, I like to think if I was in that position, I wouldn't shock the person. And I like to think, right. and, we talk, and you were talking about, it's easy to say that sitting here. Because right. what I'm sitting here thinking is, it's only two weeks. Couldn't you just say to yourself, it's only two weeks. It's an experiment. Uh, the situations were pretty bad. I mean, the yeah. the conditions. Well, that's what I... I but I mean, the, it only took two days. Right, exactly. And like, if the conditions got that bad, I'm sitting here thinking, okay, I would be saying, I withdraw my consent from this experiment, from this study. Mm-hmm. But I have a psychology background, and right. I know how kind of experiments work, like right. how studies work. So I know kind of how to say that. But maybe that's part of it that these people just didn't know how to say that in a way that was because I mean there were people saying that they didn't want to do this anymore obviously like this is ridiculous get us out well but wouldn't that be I mean that's one of those ethical questions exactly like that's them I to me that's them withdrawing their consent right. and they, they should say, not have continued yeah that. I don't want to be here anymore so like and yeah it's yeah there's some lines and the lines got crossed <laughs> yeah, I yeah. think exactly So toward the end of this, a new prisoner came in and was basically like, hey, this is messed up. (laughs) I mean, he came in, he didn't go through the original kind of power struggle and everything that broke these prisoners down. So he was kind of fresh blood put into this situation Mm -hmm. and he was seeing the unsanitary conditions and he was seeing the way these people are being treated. And he was kind of calling these people out saying, hey, this isn't, this isn't okay. This is beyond. This is beyond the -hmm. the parameters of the study, basically. And the guards are responded by like tormenting him and making other prisoners torment him so like at one point they put him in solitary confinement and they made the prisoners like bang on the door and like berate him yeah 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 mom's giving me a look like hey that's horrible and it's because it is mm-hmm. it's horrible but like all this time the researchers are like watching right oh yeah they i mean had, it's, they yeah. know exactly what's going on in there oh yeah not only that but one of like there was a research team one of them was acting as the warden And Philip Zimbardo was acting as the superintendent. Mm. So he was part of it. He was Mm -hmm. part of 
of the situation, not just like an outside researcher, which I think that to me makes it not an experiment. I mean, there's a lot of things that make it not an experiment, but that to me is one of the biggest things that the researchers were not separate. They were part of it. They were part of the environment. Mm -hmm. And that that muddies the waters enough that this is in no way an experiment Mm -hmm. to me in my eyes. So finally, finally a woman came to save the day. (laughs) Uh, Christine Maslach was my girl. Uh, She was a psych grad student. And as a side note, Zimbardo's then girlfriend and later wife, Christine, what? (laughs) She married him even after seeing that. I know. Oh, well. But she came in and uh, toward the end, day five-ish, and basically was like, this is not okay. <laughs> basically was like, this, who's, who's in charge who's here? Who's in charge here? What man thought this what, up? What <laughs> white man said this was a good idea? And she called, she called it all out. And the really crazy thing was over 50 people put eyes on this experiment and thought that it was totally cool, that there were no ethical concerns here. And one woman walks in and she's like, absolutely not. But but Zimbardo took her words to heart uh, because she called him out pretty good. And And she was his girlfriend. (laughs) He was afraid to not get laid, maybe. I don't know what his intentions were. Again, confounding variables. (laughs) But he called it off after six days. So this was supposed to be a two-week study. We've already had three people drop out because of the psychological strain. The people are crapping into buckets. Like, this is bad. It's a bad situation, and it got called off after six days. Was there any, I mean, I, to me, making people do push-ups and stuff is physical abuse. And the verbal abuse is sometimes worse than the physical. Right. But was there any report of physical? Did they get physical with people? Because I could see them hitting somebody with those batons. I didn't. I didn't read anything. So I was going to talk about this a little later. This is a good time to talk about this. So I watched last night, I I watched and made my husband watch uh, the Stanford Prison Experiment movie. It's it's literally called the Stanford Prison Experiment. It's on Netflix right now if you want to watch it. It's it's very good. It's a very good movie. And from what I can see, it was done based on the book that Zimbardo wrote about the experience. And also he consulted really closely with the makers of the film. And in the movie, there is a depiction of one time where a prisoner got to in the face of one of the guards and he like backhanded him. Mm. So like it was it was a heated moment and there was one there was one time. But then they were like, man, I mean, they would like grab them and like put them on the ground or like grab them and put them in solitary. So there was physical. I would say so. But it's it's again, it's like, well, where's the line? Right. You know, so it's it's a hard kind of physical line to draw. But I didn't read anything in my actual research of the thing besides the movie that said that anyone got physically hurt because that was the one rule that they had that they couldn't do that. So the conclusions basically were that Zimbardo said the reactions of the subject were due to the environment, not necessarily due to the personalities of the subjects. Mm. He said it could also be a result of the Hoth... Well, I think other people brought this up as well it could be a result of the hawthorne effect which is basically that people react differently when they know they're being observed so even though they were acting like they weren't in a study they knew they were being observed they knew they were being filmed so perhaps they acted differently than they would have because they were being observed i would think i would act more reasonably if i I was being well that's there are a lot of studies that say that like like, if you know you're being watched, you're going to act more favorably yeah. because you don't want people to judge more you badly. politely, yeah. So, that didn't work, apparently, for the guards. Yeah, I don't know. So this also brought a fair bit of criticism. 
A lot of people said this was not an experiment. And actually, Zimbardo eventually said it wasn't an experiment, despite the fact that a lot of the place, I am going to cite my sources for once, the place I got a lot of my information is the Prison Experiment website. It's prisonexp.org. And it is cultivated by the research team that did this. So when they're telling about the things that happened, they're saying, like, we got our volunteers through an ad. Like, they're saying it in the first person. Mm -hmm. So he calls it an experiment on everywhere at this Mm -hmm. site. So, I don't know. He's still using the nomenclature. But a a quote from him said, From the beginning, I have always said it's a demonstration. The only thing that makes it an experiment is the random assignment to prisoners and guards. That's the independent variable. There's no control group. There's no comparison group. So it doesn't fit the standards of what it means to be an experiment. It's a very powerful demonstration of a psychological phenomenon, and it has had relevance. Hmm. That's fine. Stop calling it an experiment then, Phil. (laughs) Phil. And like, again, I say, he observed things as a researcher, but he was the prison warden. And that's that's too much involvement, I think. It's that puts a variable in. Because again, like what I what I mentioned before about like demand characteristics, how like the subjects in an experiment are going to do things based on what they think the researcher wants, because they mm-hmm. do know that they are doing things because this researcher is conducting an experiment. So they knew this guy was the researcher. But he was also the superintendent. So not only he had like a dual role of power where he was their researcher and they wanted to police him that way. He was also their boss when they were quote unquote guards. So they wanted to police him that way. So like, I don't know. It just. It just confounds it. It makes me feel squicky. I don't like it. It makes you feel what? Squicky. Gross. Squicky. Hmm. That thing that you said about how he said it's not about the personality of the person. Mm -hmm. I thought that was really interesting because that's almost, it's the same idea that Milgram said. Kind of at the end of his thing, he said, one of his quotes is, it's not the kind of person we are that determines how we act, but rather the kind of situation we find ourselves in. That's basically what he was saying. But that... That's horrible. Yeah. Because I like ideally, that. I mean, that goes against what we talk about every single time we do a podcast, every single time we're in a therapy session. With about, our individuality. Right. That that you are who you are, no matter where you are. That's integrity. Right. That's right. So you shouldn't just be changed by your environment and your I mean, that's scary. I know, I don't like that at I, all. I know that that happens to, to the to all of us at some point perhaps. However, the thing I would say about these kind of experiments that happen is okay, maybe if people hear that and they're aware of that that people do that, that they will be more conscious about doing it themselves. Right. right. I guess. That's the only pro I would give this. I know that for the Milgram experiment, that the theories that they've uncovered or whatever the word is, they're used for a lot of different careers like law enforcement and a lot of different careers kind of cite it for different information. So they do use it. It is useful. Yeah. This one, not so much. Yeah. This is just a weird thing that people talk about. There were also criticisms of there being coaching to the guards. So there was a consultant who had spent time in an actual prison. He consulted on the experiment. He spent 17 years in San Quentin. And he spoke out and said that some of the things the guards did, like the buckets, was explicitly fed to the guards. So because this consultant had fed the ideas to the researchers months before the experiment started... So basically he's saying, like, these guards didn't just come up with it because, oh, that's the darkness of human nature. Like, they had been told that that was a punishment that they could use. Mm -hmm. They were given explicit permission to do this, so they did it. 
and again, that goes back to compliance right. and, and all those ideas of obedience. There were also criticisms of, like I said, demand characteristics, which, again, that means that subjects may act within a study the way they think the researcher wants them to act. Right. So, for example, there was a guard that people took to calling John Wayne because he, like, put on a character. Like, when he did the guard, and he was, like, this tough guy. And he came out later and said, like, I knew the researchers needed something to work with, so I wanted to bump up tension, so I basically put on this character and was really in the face of the prisoners, so the researchers mm-hmm. would have something to work with. Ah. So, I mean, again, there's that, like, and that's kind of a Hawthorne effect, too, that, that he knew he was being observed. He knew right. he was part of a study that he wanted to give the researchers something to work with. Right. And that was, I read that, too, about the Milgram experiment, that there have been critics who have said that the validity doesn't stand because they believe that a lot of the subjects, a lot of the participants knew somehow. Didn't really they didn't believe it was re- real. Yeah. They didn't really believe that somebody was being shocked and that's why they were so willing to they can't prove that. Right. Obviously, but right. that was a theory. But that kind of goes along with that that somebody realizes that they're doing something that's not authentic. But again, you and I talked about this before, and I do believe that part of that theory is that people really do in those situations think it's not real. If you're traveling with a busload of people to, you know, something, even if you know it's somewhere where these people are are going to be killed, it's a bus full of people. It's like that statistic thing where we hear a statistic and it doesn't feel real because it's Mm -hmm. just a number and Mm -hmm. it's like too big a number to comprehend. Mm -hmm. It's like if it's too big a thing to comprehend, then your brain just kind of shuts it off and Mm -hmm. and kind of thinks it's not real. Like you kind of dissociate a little bit. So, So at some point, the not real thing becomes a part of the experiment right like if they are literally thinking it's not it's not a real thing that they're doing and is that a defense mechanism and is that i I mean they're still complicit in deaths right that's not a good excuse if they're just (laughs) dissociating a little bit right i don't know if that's a hard line to draw to again ethical considerations so many so many of them First one is that the experiment continued despite subjects expressing their desire to withdraw. Right. I told you in the movie, again, I, I didn't see this specifically in the research, that in the movie it was depicted that some of the prisoners attempted to flee. They attempted to do a jailbreak and that they were brought back in. Now, to me, that's pretty clear, like, withdrawal of consent. Yes. <laughs> <laughs> if they literally try to escape the situation, but they were brought back and, like, put into solitary. So... Yeah, they didn't, they weren't allowed to leave. Uh, Like I said, only three people were allowed to leave, and that was through like really convoluted circumstances. So, this study led to the implementation of rules around experiments involving human subjects, and that included consideration of whether the potential benefit outweighed even the risk for harm. Mm. So, not even like, oh, what's the bigger evil here? Like, we may hurt some people, but this will still benefit like we'll still do it like no if there's a risk for harm to the human subjects we cannot do an experiment like they won't allow you to do the study zimbardi also did not conduct debriefing until several years later oh wow (laughs) oops that's a long time yes that's so long oh by the way do you remember that thing you did and that's what they said they were like okay well they're gonna forget it by then uh-huh. like they're not gonna remember either they're gonna have moved on or else they've I know. been haunted and so by a it lot all of the people <laughs> i know it's like oh they cool. <laughs> they're, they're gonna wake up in cold sweats right right and many reported that they did not experience any lasting effects now i believe they probably repressed some of that shit. probably like, 
Yeah. But now debriefings need to happen right after the experiment. Like, mm-hmm. like literally, like, for the Milgram, like you said, they did it a couple right. hours later. Like, they would have left to the room and gone into the debriefing room. Right. Like, that's now how you're supposed to do it in a situation like this. And again, there was a lack of full... Now, so when we do a study, we have to do what's called informed consent. So even if there is that kind of placebo, a little bit of deception thing, the people in the study have to consent to the entirety of what they're doing and the entirety of any risk that they're taking. And these people did not... The the criticism that people give is that they were not able to consent fully because no one knew how this experiment was going to go. Right. No one knew how this study was going to turn out. No one knew how off the rails it was going to go. So they could not give full consent. Mm-hmm. And the thing that people say is that, like, once it once it shifted into what it turned out to be, there should have there should have been a stop to it because that's a whole different level of consent that people need to give. Mm-hmm. So there's just a lot of problems. <laughs> I want to rip the skin Problem. off of my face when I think of it. And like again, I, I do recommend the movie if you think this is an interesting case uh it's is a hard movie to watch it's very intense but from what i understand it's pretty true to what actually happened um Mm -hmm. zimbardo is like depicted as a lunatic like a psychopath i find that interesting though because he consulted on it yeah so yeah so apparently he pictures the way the way my husband said it was he's like maybe he like allowed himself to be depicted that way because he knows he pooped the bed and he like (laughs) he wants to make up for it Uh, maybe i don't know but he really is depicted as like a mad scientist in this movie so and he later came out with like oh yeah i got sucked in too but phil that's why (laughs) researchers don't get involved philip (sighs) phil if you're listening to this we want you to come on and talk to us is he still alive yeah milgram has passed away that would be pretty um, cool if Phil were listening to no, our he's, podcast. He's eighty six. Oh well, he's he might he might listen to podcasts. <laughs> oh, is that our audience? <laughs> Why should I listen to today, Doctor Zimbardo? If you're listening to this, I'm sorry I have been rude. Please come on and talk to us. Tell we us would, your side. We of would story, love Phil. love to hear you. <laughs> That's all I've got. Okay, that was a lot. That was a lot. So much. So much. Unethical Experiments, Volume 1, Greatest Hits. Unethical Experiments. But, okay, this is the way I'm going to sum up my part of it. Okay. What we talk about all the, all the time, every single podcast, we go back to the self-awareness piece. So mm-hmm. this is how I'm going to bring it back to that. If you're hearing these these things and you think, well, if I was there, kind of like we were doing before, yeah. if I was there, I would never push that shocker button. Right. Or if I was one of those guards, I would have been sensible and I would have been like, hey, hey, Or if I was a prisoner, I would have just, you know. Yeah, I would have just sat in my cell and like, you know, said to myself, it's going to be two weeks and I'll be out <laughs> Can here. you give me my knitting? <laughs> yeah, something like that. It, it is another one of those pieces where you think about, well, how how would I stand up to that? Mm-hmm. Am I the kind of person who would stand up to that? And if I'm not, then do I want to be? And if I do want to be, what can I do to make myself stronger? And or... if the results of this experiment are so high, you know, if that 65% right. is still going to do that shock, if 100% is going to do up to that huge shock, yeah. what can I do to mitigate if I'm ever in a situation like that? Right. I mean, not nearly as intense, probably. But if I'm ever in a situation where I need to be compliant with something, how can I be more critically thinking? How right. can I be more of an individual? How can I keep my senses about me? Because unfortunately in our world today, and we've talked about this before, when we've talked about how stressful the world is now, yeah. you know, and why there's so many people with anxiety. And there are things that happen in the world that 
any one of us might be in a situation where we need to be the one person that stands up against whatever's happening that's injustice, that's wrong. Right. It's a very scary thought, and we think, gosh, I hope I'm never in that place. But we might be. And who that that was a very deep, (gasps) that was a very deep thought. That's a lot. I'm all sweaty. (laughs) I'm sweaty. A lot of people in the Milgram experiment sweated, too. (laughs) And I'm sure people in the Stanford experiment were very sweaty. And also, this is all stressful to talk about. (laughs) It's hurting my faith in humanity. All right. Would you like to thank the listeners for listening, being our listeners? I always like to thank the Zipsters for (laughs) being with us. buddies. Don't forget, don't do unethical experiments today. And know that Anna and Bonnie will be back (laughs) to visit with you again soon. Listen to our podcast and obey. (laughs) When I... We have subliminal messages. (laughs) Obey when I say find us on Twitter. And Instagram on Facebook. I will post some uh, pictures on Instagram of the lovely young Irishmen that people were shocking in the experiment and pictures of the prison experiment. So you can find those on Instagram and I'll probably put them on Facebook too. That's all Freudian Sips Pod is where you can find us on there. Also FreudianSipsPod.com is our website. You want to get a hold of us directly, you can email us at freudiansipspod at gmail.com. If you want to, like, send us ideas, we're kind of in the process of setting up a schedule for things. So we are going to get ready and see what we're doing in the next coming weeks. Be organized. We're so going to be organized, Mom. Oh, I know, Mom's getting pleasure chills from I'm going to make a list. I know. I get to make a list. <laughs> so we're also on Patreon if you want to throw a couple bucks our way. We're Freudian Sips Pod on there as well. Please remember to leave us a nice rating and review wherever you can do that. If you want to hop over to iTunes, especially like even even if you don't listen to iTunes, like hop over to iTunes, give us a nice rating. We like it. And finally, our theme music is Sweeter Vermouth by Kevin McLeod, and it sounds like this. (laughs) 